And welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering all the franchises, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and we have a esteemed panel here with us today to talk about a brand new horror movie that is still in theaters, but also now out to rent and buy at home. We're going to be talking a little Evil Dead Rise, the fifth movie in the long running, now like five decades in horror movie franchise off of Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. Joining us first from the Losers Club and her new podcast, The Girls on the Boys. Her writing has appeared on Dread Central, Filingo, Film Cred, and many more. Rachel Reeves. Rachel, how are we? Hi, I am doing great and so excited to talk about this film and just... You know, it's killing it. It's just a huge, massive success that was originally going to go to direct to streaming. Streaming so, yes. only. Yeah, <laughs> Excited we'll to dive into it with everybody. Definitely talk about that. That is a case where, like, kind of like whoever decided, like, whoever first thought, let's just put it on streaming, may not have a job at this point. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> also joining us uh, from Ghouls Magazine, welcome back, Ario Power Shab. Ario, how are we? Doing great. Super stoked to talk about this movie since it's newer. I haven't had a chance to talk about it much, so it's going to be really good to think through some things. Yeah, it is. I think this is the first year I think we've ever had like two brand new horror movies like this close to one another that we've talked about on the show, just kind of given the structure. And it's kind of fun to dive into some new movies um but also like it's kind of nice because like the downloads go way way up when you talk about <laughs> new hit movies it's amazing how that happens we have one more person uh joining us tonight uh he is the co-founder of certified forgotten his writing has appeared on way too many places to list but i'll, I'll give you a handful right now bloody disgusting ign slash film fangoria just to name like a handful um and you last heard him here i believe when we talked about the evil dead remake because he um i'm going to mispronounce the column name i want to say it's revenge of the remakes where this per- i got it right absolutely i can't get my co-host shows correct but the guests <laughs> i can do all the time <laughs> Matt Donato. Matt, how are we? I am doing great. I uh, am very excited to talk Evil Dead with y'all again, because last time I was here, we were talking Evil Dead, and I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think I was the spiciest guest you ever you ever did see, so you were. I, I got some more opinions. You were the one that said it was better than like the original in Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2013 is the best Evil Dead, yes. Is, and you, oh, you know what? I'll, I guess we'll launch right into our first impressions of Evil Dead Rise. Matt, do you still feel like Evil Dead 2013 is the best of the bunch? 
Yeah, uh, I still stand by 2013, um, but Evil Dead Rise, to me, just general opinions starting off, is I really dig it because it found the midpoint between the viciousness that Fede Alvarez had and Raimi's original trilogy, let's say, and the show, like, the comedy there. So Lee Cronin basically goes in and goes, all right, what Fede did is what Fede did, and it is amazing. It is my kind of bleak dark. Like, it is the textbook definition of horror, Mm -hmm. but let's you know let's bring some of that humor back like let's bring some of the slapstick let's bring some of what Raimi did and I think Lee Cronin found a really good midpoint so it is still a tremendous film uh I think for me it makes Evil Dead one of the best franchises ever I'm a bride of Mm -hmm. like I'm a Chucky franchise over everything but like Evil Dead just passed Scream so now like Evil Dead is number two for me so you have a a very large so and that's a pretty strong top three if that is your top three like uh, the Child's Play series, the Evil Dead franchise, and Scream. Yeah. Because I, I think you're right. I don't think there's a bad movie in that whole bunch. Like If you look at all of those movies, there's no stinkers that are in there. So I can't fault anyone that would make that their top three. Like, there's no Child's Play resurrection. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's nothing. Thank God. And I think, well, and what bumps it, too, for me is, like, Scream 3. Like, Evil Dead Rise basically jumps, is infinitely better than Scream 3, in my opinion. And that's why the franchise goes ahead. Because you are right. The Evil Dead franchise has no downer. The yeah. only downer I can think of in Scream is Scream 3. And even that's growing on me. Because, like, Child's Play has C to Chucky, too. It's kind of the same thing where, like, I did not like C to Chucky at all the first time I saw it. And, like, three watches later, I'm like, oh, no, this is genius. I, I get it yeah. now. When you see what it's going for and how far ahead of its time it is, you're like, it's one. I would say, like, Child's Play 3 out of, like, all of the... It's probably the lowest of the bunch. And even then, there's, like... You have, like, a teenage boy throwing himself on a hand grenade to... You know, I mean, like, you don't see that kind of thing every single day. Um, Matt, where did you first see this? Like, were you part of the premiere at South by Southwest? I indeed was. I was at the infamous South by screening where the, yeah. the angry, sleepy man made a fool of himself and uh, basically tanked his career if he had one. <laughs> what was the response like in that audience, like seeing the premiere? I imagine that's a pretty hyped up crowd. Yeah, it was a really good crowd. So like horror fans were there, you know, the press is there and the South by crowds are always a little more active, I find, than like a normal theater crowd because everyone's so stoked just to see movies early and like not in like a bad way either, like in a good way. We're all film fans. We're all there to celebrate what's happening and you're getting the right people to watch the right things. And horror does particularly well there because like I saw a Quiet Place premiere there and it was the best possible scenario to see it because everyone was like quiet. Everyone was on pins and needles. Like you could hear a dime drop if you dropped it in the theater. It was perfect. So <laughs> Evil Dead on the reverse, it was like one of the loudest, most like boisterous screenings I've ever been in. Um, and it was so much fun because people were mm-hmm. like legit screaming the whole time. Like I still think 2013 is scarier for doing like, you know, by terms of horror. Um, but everyone in that theater, like there was this girl in the front row that a few choice scares. She was like <laughs> blood curdling, awesome. like over the top, like. I think Bruce uh, Campbell called out in the Q&A just being yeah. like, this is where I want to show my movies. Like, hell yeah. So it was a very good atmosphere to be in. I maybe that say helped, my favorite you know, like reaction ever in a movie was so during Hereditary uh, when Tony Collette is like pinned to the wall up in the Duh. corner like Spider-Man. And the woman next to me, when she noticed that, just went, oh, fuck no, at the top <laughs> of her lungs. Like, that is the kind of thing you want if you're watching a movie like that. Um, what was it like in the, th- I'm just curious, like in the theater, when that dude starts heckling 
Bruce Campbell, which you're going to heckle the king of the one line oh quips. Like, what are you thinking? Um, what was the general like mood or feeling like as this was going down? It must have been awkward. Well, so like it was really weird because where I was sitting, like, you know, the way the Paramount Theater is set up in South by like there is the on the floor seats and then there's like an overhang. So like you can be in the mezzanine. You can that's my favorite spot because like the mezzanine, you're kind of looking down and you can see the screen perfectly. So I love being there and I love being up front. So I can see, like, the private boxes on the side. And this whole time, I don't know what the fuck this guy was... Sorry, can I swear here? Is it, like, okay to... Oh, it's a total R-rated, okay. yeah. absolutely. I don't know what the fuck this guy was on, because the whole movie itself, he was, like, on his phone, using his calculator app. I, like, that's... I could see this out of the left corner of my eyes. I'm trying to watch Evil Dead. Like, luckily I could zone it out. But I can see, like, he's on his calculator app, just, like, adding and subtracting numbers. And I'm like, the fuck is he doing? So then that ends, and I'm sitting next to, like, Jenny Nolf and a few other people, and the lights come on, and everyone's coming out to do the Q&A, and I look, and the guy's feet are hanging over the edge of his little private area, balcony, whatever you want to call it, and he's just, like, dead-ass asleep. Like, he's just sleeping, feet over the edge. So something is, like, not okay. I'm thinking drunk. I'm thinking definitely Mm -hmm. he's hammered or something like that. Um, And then finally... P- Peter Hall is doing the Q&A. He's a South by Midnighters programmer. And he looks up and just sees the feet dangling over. And he's just like, is, like, is that guy okay? Like, I, what is going on? So, so like, one of the attendees goes over. Um, and, like, this poor woman had to go over. And she starts, like, trying to get him out. Be like, go. You, you shouldn't be here anymore. And he starts, like, scrolling through his phone, like, showing her text messages. Again, I have no idea what he's doing, but, like, he's just scrolling, scrolling forever, and she's just like, cool, I, you need to leave. Um, and this guy, like, at this point, a few people are kind of staring at this because we see this, like, older woman trying just to do her job and usher this man out, Aww. and he, like, I don't know, we don't know what's going to happen, so luckily people behind him, like, stood up and were kind of like, yeah, like, make a move, I dare you kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so then all of a sudden that stops and then he starts screaming he's like the movie fucking sucked i don't care whatever this is a hack job like stuff like that and that's how he interrupted like they're just doing the q a and this guy just starts going off on how much he hates this movie uh yeah and that's when the entire crowd turned on him and bruce campbell like tore him down appropriately like bruce campbell took care of it but the entire crowd like is just watching him go out and he's like he's flipping everybody off as he leaves it's like it looked like a wrestling promotion almost or like he's like egging the crowd on and like flipping people off but yeah it was one of the weirdest i've seen some really bad q a's at, at south by i've seen some really awkward things happen at south by that was by far the strangest thing i've ever been involved in yeah, that just looked like watching wow. it. I don't think watching clips of it online could convey the full scope of how awkward that just appeared to be. Because no one knew what was happening. Like, like, like that was the thing. We're like, is this a stunt? Is this yeah. like something planted? Because that was it. It looked that odd. It had to be. But maybe it was the on. exec that was like, "Yeah, we're gonna just put this on streaming." <laughs> yeah it, it was the he kept saying he was the guy responsible for the viral marketing campaign for smile i remember that was that. his defense yep. okay sure you were buddy sure so like cool if you are you just cost your entire career mm-hmm. like cool you like you could have done such great things if you oh. were that guy who did it but anyway he has like a tiktok with like 30 followers so oh, everyone thinks go. he was just trying to make a name for himself there you go 
Yeah. Rachel, what were your initial thoughts on Evil Dead Rise? Follow that up, Rachel. Go ahead. I, 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 there, well, I can't beat that. I saw it at my local theater here in Boise with, you know, a solid, like, ten people in there in the middle of the afternoon. Um, but, you know, I I always get nervous. I'm not nervous, but, like, with these big IP related movies because I try to go into them. I do my darndest to go in as with as blank a slate as possible because I have fallen victim to either the hype or some of the negative chatter like one too many times. Like Hereditary is a perfect example. Like that was, I was like expecting the most mind blowing thing I'd ever seen. I was going into it, everybody around me, the even scariest people in my day to day life. Yeah, we're just like, oh my god, you have to see it, you have to see it, you have to see it. And then I finally did and was like, oh, I really liked it, but it was just, you know, not not a you know, negative thing on that movie. It just, I was, I don't know what I was expecting, and I loved it, but it also didn't quite hit that level. So that was my big, like, learning moment to just be like, all right, you got to temper expectations. And it always seems to benefit me, because I go in just willing to accept whatever should come my way. And I had so much fun with this. You know, it hooked me with that, you know, semi-unnecessary but delightful prologue. And it never let me go. Like, there was so many things that I really loved about this that I'm excited to get into. And a few things that I was like, meh, okay. But, you know, all in all, I had a I had a great time. And I'm so, so happy I saw it in a theater, though. Like, I will say. Like, I'm all, like, I totally understand why, you know, or if some people don't want to necessarily go to a theater. But... For this particular movie, I'm so glad I went to because it had some elements to it that I just, you wouldn't be able to get the same experience at home. Yeah, I I totally agree. This is definitely a great Friday night, Saturday night, packed crowd, opening weekend type of experience, especially with eager fans. Mm -hmm. Ari, how about yourself? Yeah, um, so I've seen this twice in the theater now, and both times was a really good experience. I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, I'm excited to talk about it with you three because I'm probably like the least fan of the franchise out of all of us. Not that I dislike it at all, but like I haven't seen the movies as many times. I never watched Ash vs. Evil Dead. So like I'm just not as much of an Evil Dead person as I am with other franchises. Um, and so I had no expectations for this movie. I was like, I just want to go see this good looking horror movie. I, mm-hmm. and I thought it was super fun. I love how nasty it is. I love the gore and the violence, of course. Um, and the second, the first time I went by myself and the second time I took a friend with me and she had never seen any evil dead stuff before. And she really liked it too. But my anecdote about this event was that they accidentally started playing flash dance <laughs> um so i had seen it before and like i knew the previews that were supposed to be happening but they were playing like these retrospective interviews with the director of flash dance and i was like this is kind of a weird thing to play before evil that rises <laughs> but okay whatever and so like you know they're like now the feature's gonna start so we all settled in and the word flash dance actually is in like kind of big red letters like Evil Dead Rise and it started to scroll across the screen. And so uh, people in the audience were like, is Excited. this part of it? And I was like, nope, I can say it's not. They are playing the wrong reel. 
let's go tell them. So um, we got that all handled, and then we got then to watch the movie. everybody decided that they really wanted to watch. Wait, wait, I know I paid for Evil Dead, but now that you mention it, Flash yeah, Dance is really great. go for Flash Dance, right? Yeah. Now, so Yeah. And it was kind of a fun bonding experience because it I, I like talking to strangers. I live in the Midwest. I like striking up conversations with people I don't know. So we made friends with the guys next to us and like talked about the movie with them afterwards, so that was fun. Um so this movie is just real all positive for me. You know, it's funny because I had a similar experience in that like I went like on a Sunday matinee to the theater that is like right around the corner from us. So it's like a three o three o'clock showing. And I'm like, you know, it's like two fifty. I can get there in less than five minutes and I should probably catch it this weekend. So I'm just going to go. And I got in with like a few minutes to spare and I walk into the theater, which what should be the previews. And it's already heavy into the first act. Like it is hmm. uh, right around the time that um, Jessica is showing up. And I'm like, I know that if I've missed any of the movie, it would be like 30 seconds worth. So I had to go out and, and, and a couple of us went out and were like, uh, I think you have the wrong, like I said, wrong reel on right now because it seems pretty deep in. So we got a similar experience. Interesting. With ours, so. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Hmm. It's a cursed movie, maybe. Maybe. maybe it's like every theater that does that now if they had put on flash dance i might have been like you know i think i'll stick around for <laughs> just, this i'm not gonna just don't anything. even correct them just let no. it play yeah uh, and now i want a flash dance so there is an evil dead musical so now i kind of want a flash dance evil dead mashup i'd be oh, there gee. for it slash dance um slash dance yeah yes. oh that's, that's a real thing that's there a real thing <laughs> Yeah, it's a festival, I think. I think yeah. literally, that is, but we need more horror musicals, and I think that's a perfect idea. Yes. So I think for me, like, and maybe because I didn't have super high expectations for it, I don't know, like, I know, like, I remember we did the Evil Dead remake episode, and I really liked that movie. And I don't know, like, when I'm not watching that movie, I seem to be down on it. And then I put it in, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this movie totally rules. Like, what am I thinking? I'm an idiot. Um but then, like, I don't watch it again, and I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And that, so I for, so I think heading into it, a I'm always a little bit wary of like festival reactions. Um, ever since like the Pet Cemetery remake came out, and people were like, this is the greatest movie in years. Like, this is the Pet Cemetery you've been waiting for. And then, okay, wait, I was part of those early reactions oh at God, South by, and I like the Pet Cemetery. I was gonna say, I, I'm I just like saying, it too. I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. So just you are the reason uh, my heart's been broken, Matt. So I'm just cautious going in is all. It's all I'm saying is you got to woo me a little bit. So I think you and many more. Don't worry. And I I think (laughs) that even we were talking to someone who was getting messages from people coming like who would come out of the screening and saying, yeah, this like reaction is way over the top. It's overhyped. It's okay." Like, I think, like, they were getting messages, like, while we were recording, like, an episode at one point. Um, And I really liked it. Like, I thought the kids were fantastic. I loved, like, the relationship between the sisters. Um, It's, like you said, it's a really good mashup, Matt, between over-the-top gore and violence and the things that we love about the Evil Dead. It managed to do callbacks to what Raimi has done 
without being distracting, without making me wish. I'm like, ah, I just wish I was watching Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 right now. I didn't miss Bruce Campbell in this movie, oddly enough. Like, I'm like, you know what? It's okay that he's not here for this. Um, and what's interesting is I think I'm higher on this movie than a lot of other shows I follow where like the general reaction from like, and I don't always listen to other pods before we record uh, on a movie, but I just, you know, really love those shows and wanted to hear their reactions and not that I think they're wrong, but I'm like, wow, like they are far more down on this than I was, which was a little bit surprising. So it should be a really fun discussion today. I think we're all pretty hype on this movie, which is, you know, I've got some criticisms and I'm sure they'll come up as we go. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the background of this movie and how it came together. So 2013, Evil Dead comes out. It's a creative and commercial success. Um, probably the last of the remakes, right? It was probably the last big horror remake. Like that train had kind of sailed by then. And this one was a really big hit commercially. And I think fans really enjoyed it too, right? I loved it. Yeah. I was blown away by it. I didn't know what to expect going into it. I was, you know, a little hesitant, but was just like, dude, that rules. <laughs> I liked it a lot, yeah. Because, yeah, like, Fede Alvarez was almost, like, an unproven at that point, too. He had that tremendous short that landed him the job, but it was one of those yeah. things where it's like, okay, let's see what this guy is going to do with, you know, Sam Raimi and Campbell's and everyone's creation. Uh, so what was the short he had done? Uh, that is a good question. I am blanking on what it was, but I remember watching it over and over and being like, this is the guy that's going to do the evil dead. And I mean, like we have learned so many times over that you can't put someone in a, you know, box and say, oh, they're only good at this type of movie. Why would you think they can do this? Cause like then Mm -hmm. you get the Jordan Peele's, the David Gordon Green's down the list. Um, but yeah, like that was a really interesting watch because, Everyone, of course, was precious about the Evil Dead. It was the first time someone was coming in and really saying, like, all right, I'm going to take the reins. We're going to do it my way. And, yeah, I was so thrilled by what happened. And I think that that was one of the movies that kind of inspired me to really start digging into remakes and kind of say, yeah. why are we all so mad every time one of these is kind of announced? And when, I yeah. honestly, God, like, again, like, it's my favorite Evil Dead. And I want to say that saying I love pretty much every Evil Dead property. Yeah. So, like, me saying that is not saying, like, oh, my God, what Raimi, uh, what Alvarez does is ten times better than Raimi. Like, no, Evil, uh, Evil Dead 2013 and Evil Dead 2 are pretty much almost on the same level for me. But it just, that individuality and what he does in saying, I'm going to take Raimi's stuff and do my entire own thing and you're going to effing love it. Yeah, I, I think I love that confidence. Yeah, it's a great opening shot from a director. It's a great debut. It really launches him. Like he goes on, he does uh, Don't Breathe, and he follows that up with, uh, he follows Fincher up. I mean, like he's first, he follows up Sam Raimi, then he follows up David Fincher with uh, The Girl in the Spider's Web. So it's not a guy that lacking in confidence. It's not a person that is going to say like, ooh, I really don't want to be kind of compared to these all-time greats. Um, and it seems like since then, he's really become more of a producer where like he was one of the and he has like a story by credit, but is also one of the exact producers on like the Netflix's Texas Chainsaw Massacre requel from last year. Although he again, following up like Ridley Scott, um, he's working right now on Alien Romulus. So 
not a guy that is afraid to step into other properties and put his own spin on it and do his own thing. So that was pretty, pretty neat. You know, the Evil Dead remake launches Jane Levy's career. Uh, she teams up with Alvarez again to do uh, Don't Breathe. She does that short-lived and underappreciated uh, sitcom on NBC, like the mixtape one, which was like a really good Zoe's show. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist clever. is fucking amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Great premise, like gone way before its time. Um, and when the remake premiered at South by Southwest in 2013, Alvarez says like a sequel's already in the works and Sam and Ted Raimi are going to co-write it and they're going to make it a follow-up to Army of Darkness, which, as you can imagine gets fans really hyped like now you have everybody's attention like this remake is fantastic it's great but Raimi and the Raimi's are going to write it it's going to be a direct follow-up to army like okay give us this sequel stalls and instead you get ash versus the evil dead television show it runs for three seasons 30 half hour episodes it reunites campbell with sam Raimi, but it's on stars which is not like HBO or Showtime. It's not a network that everybody gets. Uh, one of the premium cable things people are going to subscribe to. It's not even, and to be honest, like it's not even one that people are going to pay for even just for like the Evil Dead. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that is, and like you had said, Ari, like you've never watched it before. I think I've watched the first two seasons when it was on Netflix, but never finished it. And I'm kind of wondering, like, what is everyone's overall thoughts on the show if you've seen it? I've seen it. I did not catch it on Stars because I didn't have Stars, and yeah, it wasn't streaming anywhere. But so I actually had like the, you know, the physical DVDs, <laughs> which is amazing. That's why people should release things in physical form. But that's a whole other rant for another day. Um, and I had a lot of fun with it. I liked the tone. I liked the new characters that they introduced and how they, you know, worked with Bruce Campbell. And I liked it as a continuation of that trilogy. Like, I appreciate that Alvarez is something like a new, you know, a new generation, a new, like, branch of that Evil Dead tree. But I liked how Ash versus Evil Dead fit into that original series and some of the things that it explored. I think they did the best with what they could. Obviously, there were some, you know, it's a TV show on stars. Like, the budget shows here and there. There were some interesting story choices, but I'm not too harsh on some of those projects like that. And I thought it was, I mean, I'm never going to complain seeing Bruce Campbell on my screen, ever. So. Yeah, I watched it through, I think, it when it was on Netflix. I want to say it went to one of the streamers. I believe it was Netflix. So, again, I'm part of the problem. I didn't watch it on stars. I didn't watch it when it was going. But I binged it all when it was available. And did I love it? Like, yeah, I loved most of it. Um, and especially, like, what you just said, Rachel. Like, going after Evil Dead 2013 and going back to what Raimi's yeah. voice was and going back to the Campbellness of it all. It, it was like a return to form, and it felt good. Like, we had Alvarez's, again, dark vicious gory all that stuff and then Raimi comes back and goes like yeah but like remember this and it didn't they didn't feel like they were clashing though they felt mm -hmm. like an, it, almost an anthology and that's where Evil Dead Rise kind of fits into in a way like these feel like now anthology portions where everyone can kind of play in their own world and do their own respective things but it's still the Evil Dead 
And I think the show specifically kind of gets lost in its lore a little bit. Like it is, you know, it's a TV show. They have lots of time to fill. And I think it gets lost in what it's trying to do. But then we have the ashy slashy stuff that is like amazing. Like the little bits that they bring out and everything that we all remember from the show. Like it again helped like make this iconic franchise even that more iconic. So it keeps moving forward. And I like that. Again, it's like child's play. It doesn't look back. It just keeps going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about the episodes I've watched is Lucy Lawless as the villain. Because every show should have Lucy Lawless. And she is, like, really great in this one of playing, like, both sides of the fence. Uh, You think she might be a bit heroic and on their side. And she keeps kind of switching allegiances and having her own kind of agenda. That and Ash finally making his way to Jacksonville. Like that's one of the big in jokes and Ash is finally like tending bar and making like frozen margaritas in Jacksonville, Florida, which is like his version of Valhalla, like him being super happy to do that. Um, But show runs three years. I think it's got a bit of a cult following. I think Netflix like recently pulled it, but like all of these shows, like it'll find another streaming home at some point. I think with Stars, like Stars is one of those networks that I always get ads for, like sign up for five months or six months for like eight bucks. And they just kind of hope that you forget about it, which to be fair, that's usually what happens to me. Um, I remember I've subscribed a couple times doing that and they do have a pretty good lineup of movies overall. So, you know, whatever. Um, all right. July 2019, like. Everyone is still asking, when are we going to get a follow-up to Fede Alvarez's movie? Like, it was financially successful. People like it. What's taken so long? Alvarez runs an online poll asking people, what would you rather see, a follow-up to Evil Dead or a follow-up to Don't Breathe? And as one can imagine, uh, Evil Dead wins very handily. And I think Alvarez, like, does the online equivalent of, like, picking up his ball and going home. He's like pretty bummed out by that which is like what did you think was going to happen yeah like really what did you expect (laughs) i i mean there were two movies in the don't breathe series so technically we could cover it at some point i don't i did not see the second one for a lot of reasons um but i don't know if anybody was like begging for a follow-up where you would take like the really reprehensible Stephen Lang character and make him John Wick like a, a hero like don't think we were asking yeah, for good. that I'm good that, they try the redemption they try and uh, they don't quite get there this <laughs> is the best too way too many to... other movies to watch yeah. too many other movies to watch yeah. um, October 2019 at the New York City Comic Con Raimi announces pre-production on New Evil Dead with he and Bruce Campbell serving as executive producers and Rob Talbert uh, back on hand to produce as well. So you have like the original brain trust behind the Evil Dead, like all reuniting again, except they're just going to be behind the scenes. In 2020, Raimi taps Lee Cronin to direct. Uh, Cronin had done Hole in the Ground, and he had also done some work on 50 Stages of Fright, 50 States of Fright, which was Raimi's foray into Quibi. Um, does anyone here remember Quibi? I do remember Quibi. It was like a blink and you miss it, though. 
what a time yeah. to be alive, yeah. right? How how appropriate. Blink and you miss yeah. it, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> yep. That was yep. their whole model. <laughs> what is it about, like, I don't remember a lot about Hole in the Ground. I remember it being, like, pretty good, like, kid-friendly horror, if it's the, if, if, if I remember correctly. Um, is there anything about Cronin's work or his style that would have suggested, like, why Raimi would have handed him the reins to this sequel? I haven't seen it. Same. So I can't say. However, it, it, I like, I just have to imagine, like, they did see something. I don't know what that is, but I have to imagine they saw something that made them think like this guy is capable of more. We like his the way he thinks about things. I'm sure they talked to him. Maybe they just liked the way that he discussed ideas and I, I don't know, liked him as a person, maybe, and then thought he was competent and was like, yeah, let's give him a shot because they, I don't know. They are so much about like indie filmmakers and giving people chances that there had to be something there that they thought was worth exploring more. But yeah, I haven't seen it. So I'm not, I can't say what that is. It's strong. Like it's strong Irish horror that like a hole in the ground does really well with uh, a a mother son scenario. And the idea that like, you know, maybe the thing that you love the most is not that thing anymore. Um, There's a hole in the ground, uh, a kid, might or might not be sucked into it and come back as a different person but like that's the whole thing it's the idea of like a mother trying to figure out all this stuff and it like cronin tells a really strong story it, it's straight up a24 hard it's straight up all the stuff you expect from it like long kind of slow burn into something that is you know whether you whether or not you're into the payoff on the end or not like it's again a2 a24 kind of stuff but no it's visually strong it's he shows great command over over tone great command over what he's trying to do so like for any other producer to be like, no, this guy can tell a story. This guy can kind of draw on tension and stuff like that. And then, yeah, it comes right down to uh, the pitch at that point. And basically what he did is like, yeah, I'm going to take all that, uh, you know, mother and child stuff and turn it into an evil dead movie. Cause like that's, that's it's parallel. Like all the stuff that's going on, there's yeah. so much parallel stuff going on. He just does a lot more gore and a lot more gross dead shit. Yeah. And it kind of flips that on its head too, where it's this time as the mother that is, coming back is something different so so anyway it's it's um in production obviously 2020 happens everything is on hold and the film is when it's completed uh it's originally tapped to become like an exclusive streaming release on hbo max so it's kind of past the point like it was going to come out in 2021 they decide they're going to delay it a bit um and say, okay, we're going to delay the movie. And actually, if I remember correctly, this was right around the time, and I'm going to mispronounce his name. Is it Zasloff, the, who's the heading what is formerly HBO Max and is in about 10 days going to be called Max. He, it's at that time that he comes in and he starts gutting the place. Like, you are seeing shows removed from the platform for no other reason except they don't want to pay residuals any longer. You see, like, the Batgirl movie completely shelved after it's completed and basically destroyed. Um, Same thing, I believe, with, like, one of the Scooby-Doo animated projects as well. Like, Mm -hmm. these are never going to see the light of day. So there was, like, a stretch of time where, like, Cronin is actually on social media saying, hey fingers crossed for us right now like we don't know exactly what's going to happen with our movie we're just hoping that it gets some sort of relief 
uh, release at this point. Um, I think the only thing I'll say to like Zaslav's credit is he said we do want to put much more of an emphasis on theatrical. Like we don't want to have this model where we're showing things on HBO Max at the same time we're showing them in theaters. Like we want we want to really focus on theatrical films, and that's really the only thing I'll give him credit for because I don't. I mean, he's a bean counter at the end of the day. It's all about accounting and just I think this this merger with Discovery is going to be absolutely destroy like eight, the the name that HBO's built up over five decades. But I have to imagine they also watched Halloween really mm-hmm. closely because just like how it's similar, like if you look at it, similar franchise in terms of like iconic horror property and then just like how those releases were rolled out and like you know so they probably saw how like oh this one dropped so much and people were just waiting for it on like why would we do that (laughs) it was already there like it was the same day i remember and i loved the 2018 halloween and i watched the last two at home on peacock because (laughs) why not you know I think it's also Scream, and I think it's also Prey as well. I mm. think for two different reasons. I think Scream coming out and absolutely slaying the box yeah. office and remind. I mean, the thing is that horror is always dependable at the box office. If you go back mm-hmm. years and years and years, like it, everyone loves a scary story. Everyone loves to go out on a Friday night and have that horror movie experience. Um, and like horror is kind of one of the safer bets in theaters. Um, so like then you again you see Scream, you see how it just absolutely earns everything it deserves. Um, but then Prey as well on the opposite where, yeah. you know, I, I enjoy the hell out of Prey. I think Prey is an amazing film. I wish I saw it in the theater. But you're not going to get that kind of movie made for theaters. Like, that was made directly for streaming, and yeah. they had way more freedom. So, like, there's the give and the take there where I would love to keep seeing these smaller installments and in franchises like Prey. Um, as Mike, you said before, you said before, Alvarez is doing another Alien movie, and like, do I want to see that on the big screen? Oh my God, hell yeah! Absolutely. But it also sounds like he's doing like a YA Alien movie, and you can't really do that if you're not gonna have the freedom to put it on a streamer. So like, I don't know. There's a lot going on here, but I think with Evil Dead Rise, I was talking to my um, live stream co-host about it, Perry Nemiroff, and like, I think it was tracking for like just under 20 million uh, opening weekend at the box office, and I'm kind of like. This is Evil Dead, though. I'm like, aren't we kind of on the same, like, horror fan recognition level of screen? Mm -hmm. Like, this is going to overperform. And there's a reason this is going to theaters, right? And then, of course, it overperforms because, once again, horror is dependable. And especially horror that has Mm -hmm. a name. Like, this isn't just any new slasher franchise. This is the Evil Dead coming back once again. So, yeah, yeah, there's just, like, so much going on with the landscape and so much going on with Zasloff making his decision for Warner Discovery and now Disney making the same decision announcing right on the back of it saying we're going to take a bunch of stuff off of our catalog and right. save about 1.8 billion dollars um, so yeah it's it's a weird time to kind of try to parse out the benefits of streaming the benefits of not streaming but yeah this one was always meant for theaters like, the, like I'm right. sorry this was always meant to be in a theater and all this is happening too at a time where Netflix has just announced like they're shutting down dvd.com mm-hmm. in september which i had always like hey at some point i'm going to go back to this service like getting movies in the mail and you know i it seems like it's such a quaint thing like oh yeah discs delivered by mail but they were the biggest provider of like physical media rentals in the country there really are no more 
video stores unless you are really lucky and live in a place that might support like one or two independent video stores. Um, so we're at a time right now, it's like, okay, if this content is going to get pulled off of these streaming sites, like how are you going to be able to get your hands on a lot of these movies at this point? Like where are we actually going to be able to watch things? And I find myself more and more like ordering like Hitchcock Blu-rays and Steve McQueen box sets and like trying to get my hands like on all of these different physical media just in like because at some point I'm like even if I won't get to watch this for six months or a year I want the ability to you know watch it at some point and I don't want to find out that it's been removed and I just don't have access to it anymore I keep snatching up Shutter original mm-hmm. Blu-rays all the time because mm-hmm. is do I think Shutter's in trouble no I, there's no absolute thought in my mind at this point but is the thought in the back of my mind that Shutter could disappear at any second and then what happens oh, yeah. to all those originals? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So like the idea that they actually put out their Blu-rays and they put out physical media for their films. I my DVD rack or sorry, my Blu-ray rack is completely filled with Shutter stuff cuz mm-hmm. for that reason. And if Netflix did that, like there are movies like The Ritual and stuff that I would immediately buy, but mm-hmm. you know, if Netflix goes away, what mm-hmm. happens to that stuff? I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. It's a very very you know, it's an exciting time to be a genre fan because there's so much great stuff that's coming out all the time and so much stuff to be excited for, but also like a little bit of overkill or there's almost too many things, but also like is accessibility going to become a problem a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? Like it definitely, it feels like streaming sites overplayed their hand in mm-hmm. 2020 when everybody was shut in and figured that was the growth they were going to experience forever, not accounting for the fact that at some point we would be able to like go outside and experience the real world again. And then if like I live in LA and the idea that like Amazon and Netflix are trying to buy actual physical theaters to like just show their movies and stuff like that. It's, it's becoming very interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because uh, then the idea is like, well, what are, else are they going to show? Are they going to show anything else? You know? Yeah. Even Apple, like, is like, yeah, we want to start showing things, and and you see, like, I think, like, not a horror movie, but like the new Affleck movie, Air. Like, a lot of people consider it one of the best movies of the year, and it was only going to be uh, uh, streaming, and like, we'll just put it in theaters, and like everything they made on that is just mm-hmm. kind of gravy at that point right i mean they were expecting zero dollars theatrically from air and i think it made close to 80 like is it profitable not yet but that's 80 million they weren't going to get just putting it on prime well and it's awards contention too because you have to be in the theater to actually get an awards contention so that is another part of it which horror movies unfortunately don't have to worry about (laughs) not yet not at this point Uh, it would be great i tweeted this this week if tony collette got nominated for an oscar for mafia mama (laughs) It would be amazing. So we should try to make that happen. I was like, I'm um, sorry. I like saw that trailer okay. and I thought it was like a joke at first. Same. And then I was like, wait, this Same. is actually happening. <laughs> I, I'm like, you're kidding me right now. Like, oh, but good for her. I mean, I'm sure she made good money making that movie. Whatever. And if it was shot in Italy, it was a nice little I was going to say, she's adorable. Too, I so. right. Like more power yeah, to she her. She can do no yeah. <laughs> So... Needless to say, it's tapped for HBO Max. After a test screening, they're like, we're going to push it back and we're going to release it in 2022 in theaters. 
to date, it's the most financially successful of the Evil Dead movies. Like on a budget of about seventeen million, it's going to pass hundred and twenty million this weekend, uh, which that's good. Six times the the return on investment that ain't bad. Um, the plan moving forward, like Ramy has said, let's start cranking these out every two to three years. Like, why are we waiting a decade in between movies? Eventually fans of the original evil dead films like we're going to die like we're going to be too old to go to view if you wait a decade every installment we're only going to see like i might see two more if i'm lucky um so we're going to crank these out every two to three years um and we're i believe the plan is like let's hand over the reins to these up-and-coming directors and kind of let this be like a film school for them um, I've got a quote from Bruce Campbell talking to the AV Club uh, when this was released, where he says, the only problem is, with this is they can get out of hand if we jump into that world too quickly. It's hard to get it back. I think the stories will progress a little more now. We're going to try and do them more like every two to three years rather than every ten. It's also the first time Sam is working with his brother Ivan to create an overall Bible that will give future writers and directors an idea of where this thing should go next to potentially tie in some of the stories so i think it's going to be a little more tied in as the years go by but because it's all about the books it could be a book in the past a book in the future it's yet to be determined what do we think of this idea because i what i like about this franchise is it is so loosey-goosey you can take it anywhere what do we think of this idea of like having a sandbox but maybe putting some guardrails around that sandbox uh all for it i there is no part of me that isn't excited about it because it's what i said before about like anthologies you you can take every single movie give it to a director let them have this guidebook like you said like here are the rough parameters of how you do an evil dead movie but i don't care about how you actually want to do yours i Mm -hmm. i think there was the the tweet prompt going around where like lee cronin was like yo what should we do next like what do you want to see in an evil dead movie and it's like evil dead on a cruise ship i was like evil dead tied to video games somehow give me like video game horror evil dead where it takes over like go stay alive status stuff like that um but there is so much freedom you can have because you have the books it's just about the books and now Mm -hmm. we have multiple of them that have different abilities and powers um and it can literally come from any direction uh one of my favorite creep show episodes of the new run is the public access of the dead where it's just Mm -hmm. bob ross defending uh a public access news station against deadites and like yeah that's amazing they do that in asterisk evil dead too like there are so many different ways to play with this franchise and what excites me is giving it to these filmmakers because now you've shown with Fede Alvarez and with Lee Cronin that you will let the directors do what they want to do and you will let them have their own vision like there's no conjuring effect here where the conjuring three is not directed by James Wan but hey can you be James Wan and do this and the answer is no because there is no other James Wan like sorry Michael Chaves you're 0 for 2 trying to be James Wan like you're not James Wan and I like that Evil Dead the franchise is going to let filmmakers be themselves it's going to let people come in and play in the parameters of Evil Dead but have a voice that they want to tell and shape this franchise into being again I will say like hopefully for the last time like an anthology yeah and I, I mean I think it's such a beautiful thing to see these original creators like treasure what they created but also not be so precious about it that they're afraid to let others run wild with it because Mm -hmm. i think that gets in the way of a lot of franchises really being able to evolve because they're so tied to the original material and i know it's a 
it's a tricky line to watch, especially with franchises that have such dedicated, passionate fans. But, you know, sometimes when you actually are able to just kind of go a completely new direction, it alleviates some of that because it's like it's so different, so original that some of those expectations aren't going to be tied to it, if that makes sense. So it's just it's great to see, I mean, all of them, Bruce and the Raimis just being willing to you know here's here's the bible here's a few things you gotta have a dead eye you gotta have a book but other than that like go wild and i think that's just says so much about them and is just like i don't know i'm excited about it i can tell you that yeah i think other franchises could maybe take a note from that too of like here here are the things we always come back for but please grow beyond that i think that would really um open up a lot of positive ways to like bring in new fans as well as keeping the old mm-hmm. fans coming back. Yeah, I mean, Prey, Prey was the perfect example that we've already talked about. Like, people went bananas for that premise. And it was just, and it just immediately, I mean, I know, I was like, oh yeah, let's put Predator here and here and here. And like, what happens, like all these different time periods. And it just like completely blows open the door of like, what's possible. Mm-hmm. And that's where some real magic can happen is, is people are just allowed to, you know, dream a little bit bigger. Well, because that's it, it, the Raimi's and Rob Tapper and Bruce Campbell, like they understand that like Evil Dead at the end of the day is for the fans in a way. I mean, it is absolutely their property. It's absolutely it's something they built and they should be extremely mm-hmm. proud of because they built one of the most long-standing mm-hmm. horror franchises that's still running uh, and is beloved for it too. But again, they realize at the end of the day that it's what you just you're all are saying. Like the fans keep growing. Like new generations of fans should be allowed to access this. Like there needs to be entry points for everyone. And not only that, but, like, there are just mm-hmm. many different kinds of horror fans. So if you open up your franchise to everyone, and if you don't be so precious about it and be like, no, it has to be my vision, this is my franchise, like, you have to like what I want to do, like, no, they're, they're doing this the exact right way. And, you know, what you just said about other franchises learning from this, like, you know, there's a reason some mm-hmm. franchises die out. There's a reason some franchises kind of run out of creative steam, because it's just the same things rehashed over and over again. So... I, I hope Evil Dead is, you know, going to continue this trend forward because they very much seem to be doing the correct methodology. Well, I think that Raimi and Campbell bring, like, a certain pragmatism to everything as well, which is why they're not so precious about everything. Like, it's hard to... It's easy to forget that, like, Bruce Campbell, because he's so lovable and funny and has all this charisma, that he's also, like, been a producer in every single one of these movies. And, like, as far back as the first movie, he was one of the driving forces saying, okay, like, look, we got to be professional about this. Like, we have to get this shot in. We can't be wasting resources. Like, he would be kind of driving things a bit behind the scenes as well as in front of the camera. And that for, like, Raimi, when he conceptualized doing The Evil Dead, it wasn't necessarily because he had this great love of horror movies. Like, if anything, he's much more of a fan of, like, screwball comedy and, like, three stu- and, like slapstick comedy. But it was more, hey, what is, like, killing it at the drive-in theaters right now? Horror movies. Let's go and take a bunch of notes on them and see what we can come up with. And I think we can do something better. So they bring like a very certain good amount of like, yes, they have a lot of pride in what they created and rightfully so, but they also are not so attached to it that they feel like others can't play in that sandbox if 
it's going to help them, you know, kind of profit from it as yeah. well. So, and that's a good thing. Like that's, there's definitely nothing wrong with that. So, so let's talk this movie. Let's dive into the weeds here. Let's get out of the, out of the cabin, <laughs> into the high rise. And uh, I guess I, I like to start with Ariel. You had commented how much you love the tone mm-hmm. of this movie and wh- how you hope that like, this is where horror continues to go. And can you speak? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I like that this is, you know, there's genuine scariness and tension and there's gore and there's nastiness, but also it's a little bit bombastic and irreverent and like you can just have fun with it. And that's really refreshing because as much as I love like, Hereditary and Get Out and The Babadook and everything. I love those movies as much as everybody else. I don't, I'm all set with grief allegories for a while. Like if we can just like be in a, you know, like James Wan comes in every 10 years, tells us what we're going to do for the next 10 years. And so I believe that Gabriel is now our guiding force and we need to follow (laughs) him. And I just hope that we're, I would take an era of horror that's that's more like this right now for a while. Yeah, I mean, grief and trauma pay my electric bill. Fair enough. You know, if it wasn't for people having, <laughs> if it wasn't for people having traumatic experiences, like I would be selling pencils from a tin cup on a street corner. That's bleak. So, but I am all. It is very bleak. You're right. Um, but I am very happy that like we can maybe move away from every single movie is about these awful things that have happened before an inch of film is even rolled like it's almost like even if you defeat this traumatic mm-hmm. experience you were already miserable before well, so and just, like, what are we going back to look at what we've been through the last few years like the last you know like the, in every capacity everywhere you look it's been just a lot right to mm-hmm. say the least so you know, I don't, yeah, like Ari said, I don't necessarily want to like, oh, what am I going to watch tonight? Ooh, Hereditary, that sounds... We need some fun. Yes, so like, I think more than ever, like, I just appreciate these movies that, you know, they call them popcorn movies, Mm -hmm. and like, I don't think there's anything Mm -hmm. wrong with that. Like, that is so fun. Like, I mean, I know we talk about it all the time, but I, and I I feel like Ari's going to have my back on this one, but like, Fast 10? Are you kidding me? Like, there's a reason why those movies absolutely crush at the box office. And this one is going to do the exact same. And I can't, I'm so I cannot grateful. wait to have to see it. Three, a trilogy, a, like a final trilogy, not even just two. I just got but, goosebumps. Okay, I like, I cannot I, wait for this movie. <laughs> you know, so like, yes, more of these, please. Mm-hmm. We've seen a great handful of some of these coming out. And I think it's just, we're all, we're, we're all just so very tired, right? Yeah. And we just need to have some fun. And I am just, I'm here for it. And so grateful that that seems to be the direction that horror is going as well. And I think uh, especially what makes me feel like we're getting out of that era is the fact that A24 kind of ushered us into it. Like they were the yes. one of the main reasons. That's the kind of horror they kept producing very early on when they started really getting a name for themselves. Um, and if you look at back what they've been producing over the last year or so, like, 
yeah, we're getting stuff like X and Pearl, and not to say mm-hmm. there isn't trauma inherent in those films, but they are becoming more of what we're talking about, where like they're leaning into having fun again with bodies, these bodies, bodies, bodies. Like, Max- <laughs> yeah, right, bodies, bodies, bodies. Maxine mm-hmm. on the horizon. Um, talk to me is very much the same. It's getting back to just being a scary, spooky, have fun horror movie. So I, I think I am positively say putting out into the world that we are getting back to that because I'm I'm in the same boat. I am sick of what we've been seeing i just don't need that being i don't need 80 minutes of the trauma and then 10 minutes of possibly right. a horror payoff same on. half the time exactly. it's like you, you know yeah like filmmakers don't even learn the right lessons from it and like how many indie horror movies have we seen that unfortunately can't really pull it yeah, off yeah. so it's like yeah i think i'm ready for the evil dead rise uh to, to kind of change everything i mean i'm on the record like the closing shot of saint Maud is the funniest moment in a movie since Caddyshack. I mean, it's really... And I like St. Maud. Like, Maybe I, I shouldn't have said that, but it seems like a good example. No, here. I don't... I don't, <laughs> no. I don't not like that movie. I just think, like, it's supposed to be this big traumatic moment, and I'm like, oh, this is this is a hoot. Like, I <laughs> burst out laughing in not in an ironic way. I got yelled at so bad at Fantastic Fest for St. Maud because, like, everyone was like, this this is the next big thing. Like, this is the next big horror thing because, again, oh, it's so good. That la- The payoff is so good. And, again, I, I at that point, I think I was already kind of sick of that method. Mm-hmm. I was sick of that kind of pacing and all that stuff. Like, you need to you need to contain some kind of horror element throughout your entire film. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, and, I, you know, St. Maud was the one that, like, I walked out of. I'm like... The yeah. payoff was two seconds. It was literally two <laughs> seconds. Like I'm, that is the my number one example of like you can't string me along for eighty five minutes and then mm-hmm. hit me with two seconds and be like cool movie over. I'm like, I understand what you're going for. I understand the film completely. Yeah. it's just not what I want. Has Has anyone here seen the tribe? No. So oh. the tribe is like a Czechoslovakian or Slovakian kind of like dramatic horror movie that takes place in a school for the hearing impaired and it is brutal like it is like i'm uh who dd crimmins who wrote for all things horror with me at the time said it was like a movie that crushed her soul and dd nothing gets to dd she's amazing she's like yeah dd's like that doesn't really happen with dd like she she can stand withstand everything i remember so i was excited to see it at the international film fest for boston after it played and i thought it was a black comedy and my friend and a filmmaker andrea and i we were sitting in the crowd goffing like just like chuckling throughout this eating only ones eating popcorn in the movie and just laughing and people wanted to murder us like literally i thought we were gonna get i thought we were gonna get shivved walking out of that theater um so my sense of humor tends to be a little bit darker than some others um but let's all right not we're gonna i'm getting you all a little sidetracked and i yeah where are we going with this where where do you want to end up with this conversation let's end up at that cabin in the woods let's talk about the opening moments what do we how do we feel I felt this was a little out of place, but maybe I'm wrong. How do we feel this cold open works? I was confused at first because I was like, wait, like, you know, you go into it and you're like, okay, building, like apartment building. Like I knew, knew that going in. So I was a little surprised to find us back at a cabin, but I did. I thought that there were some funny moments in there that kind of tipped me off to just kind of like we were talking about that tone, you know, the thing with the drone I thought was pretty Mm -hmm. like clever and 
like when the is it the cousin is on the bed and like reciting the book like that was like that was like great. a clever little like callback kind of thing so i appreciated some of the elements that were in it i'm still like mm-hmm. not convinced it's absolutely necessary but at the same time i don't know that title card almost makes it worth it <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. it's a very 70s like title card coming up it feels epic um i think it's there because like the next it does take a while to get going after this opening scene it almost feels like it was put in there because like it's a good 25 30 minutes before the movie really starts to take off after that and maybe you worry that you're going to lose audiences i like the drone cutting through the woods it's a nice little kind of like callback but it subverts your expectations a little bit like oh it's not the deadite it is actually just some jackass flying a drone mm-hmm. um the wuthering height dialogue I, again a great call back to the first evil dead when i think i forget which character it is but like once they've turned they're calling all the cards out without looking at them like which scares the callbacks. crap out of me to this mm-hmm. day so calling back to that really worked for me like i think about like jack of diamonds jack of clubs when i'm trying to fall asleep and i get scared (laughs) excellent i love it so instead of counting sheep that's what you do (laughs) no i mean i don't it doesn't i don't want to be thinking about that while i'm trying to fall asleep because it freaks me out well i think why it works for me and i like I've, i've heard it doesn't work for some people for exactly kind of the reasons you're uh you've alluded to but it works for me because it sets you up to say like this isn't another evil dead mm-hmm. movie like you're expecting and we knew that already like we knew coming in it's an apartment-based la-based horror uh evil dead movie but i think the way in which it starts that just to make sure you know like hey this ain't the evil dead you remember we're gonna do something completely different here so i think that's why it worked for me a little more because the familiarity the callbacks they're all there it's everything that you kind of feel comfortable with and it feels like oh like i'm seeing an old yeah. friend again mm-hmm. Uh, but then it just cuts right to the mm-hmm. Evil Dead Rise again, the title card, everything, and then you're in LA, and you're like, okay, that really set the tone of being like, nope, we're doing something different. It also makes it like, I like how it works. Like once you've you know watched the whole movie, because it adds a mm-hmm. level of like yep. sinisterness once you know how everything progresses, and then it's like, oh, but this you know like where is it going to go from here? Like and just how it puts everything that happens that we're going to see in perspective after. I do really like that because i just like where my mind wants to go with it and just just like oh it really is just the beginning <laughs> yep yeah because it is the first time that what the evil's not contained yeah. like at the mm-hmm. end of each evil dead it's somehow like contained it's almost bottled up in some way and you're right this does suggest now it can spread pretty much anywhere along with a couple other yeah. things that happen in this movie but we go from there and i would say like the first act it does take a while for things to get going, which I don't think is terrible because I really like this cast mm-hmm. and I really like the performances here. So maybe let's take a few minutes and talk about them before we get to all the squishy things. Um, so I like Lily Sullivan as Beth, the tough guitar, rock guitar, can tune a guitar like her uh, crew really likes her like she's well respected by them you know she's not and it's weird how it's weird how like this the tattoo artist mom is like how dare you be a guitar tech like what kind of job like i would think they would be on the same page as one another they're kind of like 
two sides of a similar coin in my eye, but I, what do I I'm know? not sure I took it exactly like that. I, I took it more as just like, you know, sibling kind of like, you know, poking at each other. I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced that Ellie actually thought that about her sister. I think it's just that kind of dynamic where like Beth is kind of the, the screw up of the family, you know, the kind of the black sheep of the family. So they just give her a hard time. And she's like, no, I have a real job, you guys. Like, mm-hmm. I... Yeah, like, yeah. I was going to say, it's, like, more about her, like, running away. It's it's not about the job she took. It's more about how she is using it for avoidance mm-hmm. and the, the things that come with it, I think I would say. What do we think of Ellie, played by Alyssa Sutherland here? Um, and I can't imagine there's going to be many <laughs> negative things that are said about her. Uh, she's a queen. Yeah. This is... She nails it. Amazing icon. She's she to me is the MVP of this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. She's as good as Jane Levy in 2013. I think like the fact that we were spoiled with two just amazing deadite performances from the actresses uh, in both of these films is top notch. Like it, it is that good. And I, I consider like people do the question of oh, if you could give like an Oscar, mm-hmm. like give an award to like you know a horror actor actress like that year of 2013 it was jane levy for evil dead and uh elijah wood for maniac like easy for me and like this year like sutherland is an easy choice again for me so far i'm still waiting we still have much much to watch for the horror year but the way that she's able to play the mother the way that she's able to play the humor when she's like outside trying to coax Mm -hmm. her daughter to open the door and go back on the motherly instincts but then just go right back into deadite mode it's something real it's special and also just horrifying mm-hmm. that she can Yeah, do. like her physical performance is like so unnerving and just the control she has over her face and her body movements. And like, yes, I'm sure some of it has been, you know, tweaked with the wonders of technology, but the bones of it are her, all her mm-hmm. and how she was mm-hmm. able to like, I just, I love actors who aren't afraid to get dirty and get ugly and just like really yeah. embrace that aspect. And I feel like she was just like, let's do it. Like she's an incredibly stunning human being, but the fact that she was like, w- like just make me as horrific as possible. Like it's just makes me smile so much. Mm-hmm. I think we get just enough of her too, before she's transformed yeah. where you really like her. Uh, which I think is, and that would be my one gripe with like the Evil Dead remake is that I don't necessarily like any of these characters aside, um, you know, uh, oh God, aside. Why can I remember me? I want to say Mia, and it's not Mia. It is Mia. Okay, if we I said like aside from Mia, like I just don't like any of these characters here. Like I really like Ellie as a mom. I love how she can kind of like tease her kids a little bit. Like she's not necessarily strict with them but she's also not putting up with any of their shit either Mm -hmm. um like the idea of like you can do your own laundry you're old enough like that speaks to the parent in me right there Mm -hmm. it's like absolutely and how you get this sense of something that she's actually like lost when she's actually turned into a deadite uh the little moment where she's freaking out over her kids like being trapped in the garage and not knowing if they're safe when they're trying to bring up the pizza. And when they're like, we drop the pizza and she's like, I don't care. I love you way more than pizza. Like Mm -hmm. that's another cool little moment. You actually feel something when she's turned into a dead eye. And then, you know, when she does get turned, she's so good. Like you can tell Mm -hmm. that 
Alyssa Sutherland is having such a good time and putting everything she can into this role. Um, she is fantastic in the role of the Deadite and just like probably the only Deadite I've ever been attracted to. <laughs> I have to say she's just absolute queen. I would die for her. Mm-hmm. But what do we think of the kids in this movie as well? I think, you know, strong performance from all three of them. Yeah, their accents. It's so cute, though. Like, I can't be mad. You know, like, the accents come, you know, are a little sketchy here and there. Mm -hmm. But I I don't care. Like, the little girl who plays Cassie, Nell Fisher, is just so adorable and sweet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's the... Oh, Stabany or Staffany? What's the little... Staffany. Yeah, Staffany. I just... I like how these characters... Like, each of these kids... It doesn't take much, but we get to know their individual identities and kind of like mm-hmm. what they're into and just these like little details about them. We quickly believe, I believed that they were a family and the way yeah. that they interacted, which really makes some of the things that happen later really, you know, heartbreaking and believable at the same time, like the way, some of the way that things unfold. So mm-hmm. I thought, I thought all three of them were great. Yeah, I agree. Did you do a good job hitting on like, LA-ness of it all too like have, being a family but having to raise a family in a tight confined apartment space and like all these other things like it, there are just little little ticks and you know that freedom of going like yeah just like go get pizza like go outside by yourself like it, there is a very city mentality here uh, that nails how people do act in LA that like you see like you know raising a kid in a metropolitan huge city is very different than being in the suburbs like what my parents were terrified of like pales in comparison to what like you would encounter in a city, you know, mm-hmm. like a group in a Jersey suburb, like so different. So I think there's a really good job of the kids being city kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, maybe some people might not see that big of a distinction, but when you've lived in both atmospheres, like there's a lot of stuff going on just with how confident they are with how like they interact with each other so closely because they have to, because there's no, you, there's no second floor to go run to. There's no other bedroom, stuff like that. Um, which also increases the fear and increases the other things when shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Ari? I don't know if you wanted to pipe in. Yeah, well, I just, I really believe their sibling relationship, like Rachel was saying. Um, the way that they, like, one minute are bickering with each other and then they're in danger, and so they're immediately being kind to each other again, that just felt very much like me and my brother growing up. Yeah, I like how they're trying to protect one another, Mm -hmm. how they're both trying to protect Cassie. Uh And they're Mm -hmm. both like both Danny and Bridget are willing to kind of sacrifice themselves in order to protect Cassie. But also like Bridget not being afraid to go to Danny and be like, I told you not to read this book. Like even with that, you still can't resist like getting that dig in at your older brother Mm -hmm. when you're pissed off at them because they read the fucking latin and as you know you don't read the latin Latin. but wouldn't Um, you would you read this book like i i mean like you find this thing like under your building like absolutely not no (laughs) yeah no i we've how many horror movies have we all seen like your instinct is just to forget everything you've learned what do we do this for yeah exactly yes my instinct is just (laughs) just read the book nope i'll say that i liked that they had a reason for taking the book. Like, hey, this could be valuable. We yeah. could use the extra money right now. Let's take it. Like, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a 14-year-old boy anymore, but a 14-year-old Mike would definitely try to read yeah. it. Yeah, I probably would have as a teenager. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Um, and he tries to stop. Uh, like mm-hmm. he definitely tries to stop at one point, and yeah. and that that train is rolled. Like mm-hmm. he's unable to stop. Um, I will say, I love this whole sequence. I think that and one of the things I want to point out about Evil Dead Rise, this might have some of the best sound design of any movie I've watched this year. Like the best reason to see this in a thesis, it looks like it's made for streaming. Like one of my complaints about it is it is a little bit dark mm-hmm. and I can definitely see how it was maybe like mixed and colored with the idea of like, well, it's going to be on home TVs and people tend to jack up the brightness mm. anyway on those. So it does look a little bit dark theatrically, but the, sound mix is incredible and the way the chanting priests that main voice the demonic voices the rising storm some of the best sound effects and a phenomenal soundtrack and score as well and rachel i know that is always your alley so could you speak on yeah, that yeah so yeah the sound design by peter albrechtson like i was shook by this sound design like i kept looking over my shoulder because you'd be hearing like bugs or other things just like creaking behind you and it was you know movies like oh surround sound but this for some reason felt so much more visceral than a lot of movies and it was just like the subtlety and the way that it was applied here and there was i i don't even know how much time he must have spent doing this but it adds so much to this movie and you know talk about oscars like uh he could definitely be contending for that because it's so good and then yeah even the score like um by stephen mccune mckin i'm not exactly sure how to say that but um irish composer as well so i'm sure that that's how that he oh yeah he did hole in the ground so that's how he's worked previously with cronin so somebody that he knew somebody that they had a good dynamic with and also like yeah there's a lot of really intense moments the chanting and i mean (laughs) i'm a sucker for records like no secret there (laughs) so the fact that i thought of the records played (laughs) such a huge part in this i was like oh god this movie is made for me um but if anybody ever needs like a consultant for a movie on how to properly like handle records um i would be glad to you know offer my services what did you see off in this? Like what caught okay, like, so in terms of how they these were records at ahead. this time period? It's I think they said they came out in 1927. So these would have been really heavy shellac 78 records, which if Danny put those on mm-hmm. his turntable and used that regular needle that is designed for 33s and 45s, it would have sounded like garbage. It would have demolished his needle because just the material that it's made up and the, the, the actual you know size of the grooves and stuff it would have been a disaster but you know it's okay it, in the end i guess it doesn't really matter anyways and that's probably the last can thing on still, his mind <laughs> can you still get 78s like that's not even a well thing they don't anymore, make right? them anymore you can still okay. get them they are really fragile like when i worked at the record mm-hmm. store we didn't typically like buy them because they are so fragile and unless you've got like you know something like this that you find in the basement of your apartment building in LA or like Mm -hmm. some crazy awesome jazz 78 they're probably not worth a whole lot but anyways it's a little tangent uh did did you catch the uh yes the the voice on one of the records right is that okay okay yeah yeah yeah, because 
it was right before uh, like it premiered at South by. I think it was Cronin. It was like, oh, look out for the Bruce Campbell cameo just to get everyone, yeah. of course, mm-hmm. talking and stuff. So we all left and we're like, wait, what was it? I think it was Meg Navarro that caught it. And she was like, oh, he was like the voice. And we're all like, ah, he was son of a, son of a gun. Cronin said after that in his headcanon, this is like Ash displaced in time. Like he's traveled back and he's, which I don't know. That's cool for if that's what Lee Cronin wants to do. Good for him. Um, I don't necessarily see it that way, but it is definitely cool when you hear him yelling like "destroy it." And I appreciate the restraint, stuff. honestly, because yeah. like I kind of was expecting like a Wes Craven like mopping the hallway and you know like Freddy kind of thing, but I was actually like really pleased to see that it was something so subtle. So it's like yes, it's there, but also like you're not actually seeing his face. <laughs> and if that is ash like let's say that is ash uh doing that too it does keep the canon open and just make sure that you do remember one more time that like i know this is a different book i know this is something that seems so different but it's all still tied and the fact again we know he can already travel through time let's say because we've seen army of darkness so just teasing that that possibility is still out there for future movies to go jump back through time forward and backward it's, it's just a subtle way it's a nice little callback but at the same time it's something that if you think about just a little bit harder, you're like, wait, this actually keeps every like the the book is so yeah. wide open now. And records How are do- groovy. Uh, oh my god! Uh, I love yeah, you. I didn't that's even a, about yeah. That. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's the the yeah. subheader for this episode. <laughs> Lovely. A plus. That's why you're on our. I contributed. Phenomenal. Everybody, I'm all set. <laughs> Well, Ari, why don't you take this next section? I'm oh, going to ask how you all feel. How do you feel like the apartment building setting was utilized? I would say one of the criticisms is it did feel maybe a little too self-contained, uh, that you didn't make enough use of having like a whole apartment building to run a muck in. But I don't know. I personally felt like I never got the impression it was going to be a huge set piece driven movie anyway but how did you all feel about the fact that it really how did you feel the apartment building was utilized in this i liked it i know i've heard some other people say it wasn't their favorite either but um i like that early on they're like the stairs are broken the elevator is kind of janky like okay quick i believe that they're gonna demolish it in a month so most of the people have moved out I believe that. There's not easy access to a fire escape. I believe that very much. And it's a lot scarier, I think, that they couldn't, like, run away in the apartment building. You know, they were really just trapped there super high up with nowhere to go and no way to communicate. So I thought they used it really well. It would have been a different movie if they'd been running around the apartment complex, and that could be very cool. I would be happy to see that. But I liked what we got. I think it's incredibly faithful to the franchise. Like, that's the thing for me. Like, everyone's, everyone wants something different, but then when you go too different, they want what is uh-huh. familiar. Uh-huh. So I think what this did with picking a new location, but staying incredibly faithful to the structure of an Evil Dead film, like, the cabin is not that big. The cabin has a few rooms in a basement, and we are pretty much tied to that. Um, Army of Darkness, of course, is much more sprawling, but that is a medieval thing. We're, we're doing something a little different there. So the idea that it was able to do Cabin in the Woods Horror, but in a large city-based location, because you still have the elevator represents you know the vine scene, which they handled very well here. And 
you know, one of the things about 2013 is, like, maybe we didn't have to, but hey, all for it. it Alvarez wanted to do it. Like, oh, okay. I, uh, I like how they handled it. I don't think he scene. did want to do I think that, from what I remember researching, that was, was, Tabbert went back and said, like, you need to add that. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah. But, Inter- okay. But, well, but, in any case, though, so you case. have the elevator represent that. We get to the basement and, or the parking structure anyway, so you do get out of the apartment. You have a wider space. Um, and speaking to containment, like, you you have the whole floor. Like, it's still there. There are still neighbors. There are still other bodies that happen here. So, like, it's not like you're just stuck in the apartment with the same people. Like, the body count's there. We get everything we want from an Evil Dead movie. So, for me, I got excited. Like, I, I got excited where they were able to take the background take the landscape and make an evil dead movie but make it feel different yeah Yeah. and not different i i I liked the neighbors too like i liked the addition of the neighbors and how they were you know used just enough and able to really kind of add a level of gore you know with a smaller cast because that's the thing it's like how do you amplifies up some of this like classic evil dead gore and violence and that kind of stuff but if you only have like four people like you're gonna okay how many times can we do this so by like using the neighbors and explaining some of that stuff that i i enjoyed seeing that i think it actually like the part i like the least about it is at the very end how the girl that we see what's what's her name jessica or whatever was like oh yeah i couldn't hear anything and you know so that to me was like the one part of the apartment oh she was like oh she was two floors down and like didn't hear like guns going off and like you know the the elevator <laughs> like exploding and how did she get down here to the parking garage <laughs> like the stairs are destroyed so that was like my only little gripe with the setting but i do love how it does feel isolated and contained and i'm not exactly sure what else what else people really wanted from it i guess yeah i don't know how watch and maybe because like watching the trailers for it and re and knowing that it was heading originally slated to just be like streaming only to me it always felt like it was going to be a self-contained piece and i think maybe you could have done more like moving floor to floor like i think wreck is still the best example of contained horror like contained in an apartment building horror where you can make use of the different levels um and that's also still like a pretty small movie and in 2024 we need to cover wreck now um so maybe having those different layers would benefit it but i never expected this to be like going from building to building or escaping into the streets And, and like if people want that like just watch demons too like you're gonna get that you're gonna get this massive group of people running all over the building you're gonna get possession you're gonna get the cheese you're gonna get the gore and all the camp factor but like Mm -hmm. it's been done and demons 2 is great so like it's uh, you know sure i I like how it stayed more true to the evil dead and not was inspired by that and not necessarily like inspired by the setting if that makes sense yeah like, that's the setup of every zombie movie. Like, every zombie apocalypse movie is just people starting in an apartment somewhere and figuring out shit's going crazy outside and having to escape. Like, like you yeah. just said, we've seen that tons of times. And it's teased that that could yeah, be the next yeah. thing they do, too. Like, we now know the book can get out. We now know, like, this is patient zero, basically, and everything's going to go haywire. And in my mind, like, the next step is taking Evil Dead to the level of, like, a more 
massive scale outbreak, whatever you want to call it. World War Evil Dead. World War Evil Dead. Right, ex- exactly. So, like, I think that's on the horizon, but for now, we're still at contained yeah. Evil Dead, yeah. what you know. Yeah. And you get a contained movie, but you get to make use of, like, I thought, like, really fun use of, like, the uh, ducks that run in between the apartments like that's one of the better sequences like having that really small setting uh where you're kind of like trapped inside of here and using just the shit that's in your kitchen like just using a stove and a a little like can of aerosol to create these really fun really cool set pieces like who knew like a bathtub could be so terrifying that bathtub is gorgeous too by the way like i'm a little jealous That's a gorgeous. As someone apartment. who lives in LA, yeah. fuck that. Yeah, <laughs> that is like such a gorgeous apartment. Like it is like, yeah, the building is condemned. It's like, how is this building condemned? Like it is beautiful. Like what are you talking about? Well, there's an evil resting beneath it that's just like rotting it from the <laughs> the foundation on up. Yeah, but if that drives yeah. my rent down, trust me, I'm looking. Like I'm looking no. for apartments right now, and it is the most miserable <laughs> oh, effing God. thing possible. So like, yeah, the LA rent market needs more fucking Necronomicons <laughs> driving yeah. down. It's like. It's rent-controlled, however, there might be an evil force that lives underneath. <laughs> it's rent-controlled, just don't mm-hmm. read the Latin. Yeah, just, which is... And of course, you're going to read the Latin. So, yeah. coins and just, you know, just go all about your merry way. <laughs> now that I think about it, I honestly think I would try to see how much Latin I could read before shit goes bad. Like, can That's I a bad a idea, Mike. It is. You're right. You shouldn't you are do really... it. How much Latin can I read before I die? <laughs> yeah, you know, just like could I read a paragraph and nothing happens? And Don't then like what if I read another one? If you fuck around, <laughs> I would find yeah. out. I would totally. You would find out. out, and that's not good. <laughs> right. So I, I guess, but like the last thing I do want to say in the LA-ness of it all is like. I, I'm always, I'm drawn to, like, city-based horror because mm-hmm. I've only lived in an apartment since college. Like, I moved home for a year, lived in Jersey, and then I moved right to Brooklyn for eight years, and I've been out here for almost four years. So, like, my whole life is, like, apartment complexes and apartment buildings. And there is something inherently terrifying in living in these complexes and, like, if shit goes bad. Like, you know your neighbors in the sense that you know who they are in a, on a daily, just passing-by mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happens behind their doors. I don't know what happens, like anything else or who these people really are and if things went bad like who do you trust how does that like go down like what happens do you like lock yourself in do you trust the people outside maybe so the idea that evil dead kind of plays that a little bit and it, it makes it that that whole out out hallway sequence mm-hmm. is yeah. so good to me because as much as you think you know everything about like your surroundings and stuff like i am just looking around in a bunch of windows right now like i don't know who these people yeah. are but we live in the same building <laughs> I mean, hell, I live in the suburbs. I know very few of my neighbors, right? I know I have probably interacted with the person who lives across the street from me more on Twitter than I have in real life. And I'm always <laughs> like, really we should funny. have them over and, like, watch a movie in the backyard and make dinner. And we just never do it. Like, life gets in the way of that. You know what I mean? It's such a weird phenomenon. Um, another weird phenomenon is how much danger kids get put into in this movie and i am here for it like it's very rare in horror movies even teen for like young teenagers that are under the protection usually if a teen gets killed it's because there are no parents around but here this is a family that is like literally put through the meat grinder Mm -hmm. in this movie and i am here for it um i 
I will say like some of the CGI, you know, the eyeball sequence, like you could have cut that out. Um, but I love that, like the two little meatballs that are the neighbors that are like, there are no bad Elm streets. Like they get it in pretty horrific ways. Uh, Caleb, the neighbor gets his throat ripped out. Um, but I feel so bad when like Danny and Bridget, like Mm -hmm. again, like two parent, two kids we've grown to like, and like, Bridget's reveal as the deadite when she's like chewing on the wine yeah, glass and swallowing it. it is so good. Spitting up maggots. What do we think of like the kids in perilness of it all? Love yet? it. Yep. <laughs> Give me more. Yeah, like horror is not what horror is. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there shouldn't be sugarcoating it. There shouldn't be anything of that nature. And it's it's what you said about the body count before too. Like what what are we gonna mm-hmm. do? Not harm the kids unfortunately like yeah so i and that goes to their performances too they do really well being deadites i think everyone here does a really good job like turning the switch Mm -hmm. and becoming their demon form well and just like the original ones how it's like your friends turning against you and and well in the remake too like these people that you love and care about are now like you have to make a decision am i going to kill them or am i going to turn into one of them as well and just like honoring that in a slightly different way because they're family and you know mm-hmm. like but also by making the mom you know out hang out in the hallway that like the it puts the responsibility on well, yes beth is there too but there's multiple times where it's up to danny or even the you know the little daughter like she has to like kill her sister too so making mm-hmm. not only putting the kids in peril but making them actively have to make these awful decisions that nobody should ever have to make and have to like right. kill their sibling like that is brutal mm-hmm. yeah yeah like danny having to like wrap up bridget's supposed corpse and then saying well i thought it was best just in case like she comes back like the thought that has to go through like a 16 year old brain to be like what if my stabbed through the head sister comes back from the dead and tries to kill yeah. me which which she is does. also like and by one the of my way, favorite like, scenes in the movie <laughs> one of the best oh yeah so good one of the best shots in the movie like it's a little reminiscent of like the shape is bob i love the it though. thing mm-hmm. over him but it's such a great little reveal like i actually might buy this i'd never buy like a 25 dollar digital movie but i'm like jonesing to watch this again now this weekend it's about the darkness of the evil dead too i mean like that it's it's showing you that the books are not gonna hold anything back like i I, when we need that reassurance in a way because you know fede alvarez kind of did set the bar like he set the bar on what we think about these evil dead movies so evil dead rise had to have a little bit of that this is kind of like the as we're sitting here talking like this feels like the antithesis to like radio silences scream movies where there are no sacred cows in these movies like it's like no we will we will give you these characters that you're really gonna like that you know usually would be safe or that would be redeemed in the end and we're gonna take three of them and we're gonna literally give them the fargo treatment at the end of the movie (laughs) and send them through the wood i don't think you can i don't think you can hold them to the same standard though like, no, like Screen but... is an ensemble cast. Scream is an ensemble mm-hmm. cast movie. It always has been. And like those cast of characters, Evil Dead, it's, I mean, it's Bruce Campbell. It's Ash. Like there's one. Sure. Like there's, you know, there's other people revolving around him, but it's usually just mm-hmm. him. So I don't, I don't no. necessarily think they're going to be beholden to the same standards of mm-hmm. killing off some of these characters. Got it. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. That is a fair point. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, the Scream franchise as well has to go with, you know, it's it's a meta-commentary mm-hmm. on itself mm-hmm. as well. So you have to do a meta-commentary on the way the, the ensemble cast has been dealt with. Like, it just, it's a domino effect in that one. So, yeah, I, I, I do agree it's a little harder to hold them to that yeah. standard where Evil Dead is about everyone. And not. supernatural <laughs> like versus that. human. you got to figure out a way. Yeah, you've got those kind of mm-hmm. elements. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit let down by the... I think the cheese grater scene was overhyped. Same. Um, I wanted it to just like. Yeah. I wanted Me too. Like, some like shredding action, like just mm-hmm. you know, because that is awful. That is terrifying. <laughs> oh. It's yeah. I can picture that a lot worse because I, I know like I can look. I'm looking at my fingers now, like shredding mozzarella. Mm-hmm. You've, it's for happened. Dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels awful, and you go, you know. So yeah. I really wanted to see that thing get dragged all the way down. Do we know? It was is, a little quick for is me. Is there like an unrated version or like a director's cut or something? Mm. Like, because that would be cool. I don't know. There probably will be. If there actually was I more I mean, to there that. probably will be. I have no idea, but you imagine that there, there just might be at some point. Something will come out that shows a little bit more. Um, let's talk about this last act and then wrap things up. Because I think I, when they get into the garage... Uh, I will say my, the low point to me is like the CGI. Well, a, a let's talk about the elevator sequence, like the little tribute mm-hmm. to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I've definitely heard some complaints about this, like oh, you're just ripping off The Shining, which true, but again, I mean, like horror is the one genre that often borrows from itself repeatedly, and we usually love it. Um, I didn't really have an issue with a elevator filled with liquid plasma i thought that was pretty well done and grotesque are those same people complaining every single time that shot is remade because like that's so many movies i like i'm sorry i i, it, I never get that mm-hmm. like that's the thing of it's paying homage like it's yeah. not ripping anything i think off. it boils down to how much you like this movie if you do like the movie then you're like hey this is pretty cool i enjoy it mm-hmm. and you let it slide and if you're not on board with everything that happened before it then you're like going to kind of be like, well, this is another thing I don't like. Do something on your own or do something original. Um, I mean, like they do kind of do it in It Chapter Two with like Jessica Chastain, the bathroom filling up with a ton of blood. Like that is reminiscent. I am always kind of here for these little nods. I don't have a problem with it. Same. It makes sense too. Like it, it's not like it feels out of place because yeah. these movies are like have that element of like campy, just over the top excessiveness. Like it it doesn't feel forced. Like it does feel like it mm-hmm. makes just as much sense to have that in here. And then it just, yes, also happens to be a nod to the shining. It, it, and like, this is a movie filled with Easter eggs, like Henrietta's pizza, yeah. Fonda's uh, wood chipper, you know, mm-hmm. the gardening thing, uh, literally Lee Cronin putting a hole in the ground. <laughs> yeah. like the, the, titch, the titular hole in the oh, ground is yeah. featured in this movie. Like just the way that Beth, holds the chainsaw at the end of yeah. the movie where she like has it up like it's the quintessential ash pose and then they subvert that by have her like falling off the back of the thing and stumbling like I it's fantastic that. yeah uh, the eyeball is mm-hmm. is evil dead too like yep. like everything in here is a callback yep. so it's like I, I it's weird to pick it like pick and choose there but i it, yeah. i do agree it's like if you like the movie you're gonna yeah. like that stuff and if you sour on a movie you're gonna start nitpicking they're fun callbacks like they're not so bad that I'm like, oh, you're pulling me out of the movie at this point. Like, but they're nice little visual nods. Mm-hmm. Didn't love the CGI monster thing at the end where they're all kind of glued together. Like, 
and I think if I have a like, what I really respect about the first Evil Dead and the set, but the first in particular, is you have like a group of twenty-year-olds with no money, figuring like, how are we going to do this, and then finding a way to do it, like strapping Bruce Campbell to some device and then spinning him around while you're like flying down a dirt road in order to create like the getting thrown through the air effect in evil dead. Like it's such Mm -hmm. a wonderful creative thing. And I think that gets lost when you're like, let's just get a graphic designer to put these pixels together. I think that would be my one complaint right here. But I will say, and I wonder how y'all feel about this. I thought the movie was going to end when Cassie gets pulled back into the garage and like Beth was going to have to watch her niece torn apart. Mm. And it was going to be just the grimmest, most nihilistic ending, like watching an eight-year-old kid devoured. Mm. How would we have felt about that ending? Sad, but like if you're gonna push boundaries, like I mean, Lee Cronin just puts his mommy issues on all, in all his movies, so I I don't know, you know, if it would have been that out of character. But no, I I like the ending the way it is. I think the ending the way it is inspires a little bit more of uh, we've already seen the family get torn apart in literally physical and figurative ways. So like we need a little bit of that hope at the end, especially for Be- uh, Beth. Like Beth's trajectory of saving, mm-hmm. like you. It's nice. I have you need mixed that. feelings on Beth, and I would love to hear everybody else's feelings. The whole pregnancy angle of this thing is a little, to me, feels unnecessary, and I'm not quite sure what it yeah. adds to the story. Like I feel like if that mm-hmm. whole element was taken out, it would still function just as effectively for me. Yeah. Um, but I am curious to see how you guys felt about that too. Yeah. Ari, I'm interested because I think like you had mentioned you had a take on this that I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I have a different reading. And I was wondering what your take on like just the how that was presented Mm -hmm. and how it worked uh, with the movie as a whole. Yeah. Um, Well, I do think the entire pregnancy angle could have been removed and the movie still would have worked. But that it's in there. I got a pretty pro-choice reading from it. And Everybody else I've talked to said they got the opposite. So maybe I'm wrong, you know, and I'll talk about it and I'll feel differently. Um, But so and just to be clear, I am pro-abortion. I am pro-choice. I am happily child free. So like, you know, I'm not trying to sneak anything in here. Um, But I think like. Beth really goes through it with, like, before the tragedy happens, she's not sure if she wants to have the baby or not, and she goes to her sister to help her figure it out. And then as the tragedy's happening, it she's still processing it, and then, like, as she's getting away. And when Cassie asks her, like, are you going to be a mom, she takes a beat to think about it before she says yes. And, um... I think, like, the movie took an opportunity, or at least I read it this way, to say, like, it's okay to think about it, it's okay to struggle with it, and it's okay to make whatever choice you feel like you need to make. Um, And who knows what Beth will end up doing after that. Maybe after she gets out, she'll have a different feeling. Um, But I just thought it was really nice to see a pregnant woman sort of struggle with that, and like most of what we spend time with is is her struggling with that and not her decision to have a baby or not so but you also could just remove the whole thing and the movie still works yeah. 
Yeah, that's ultimately one of the things that I kind of dinged uh, Evil Dead Rise on, like, when I saw it at a South By, because I was, like, really high on it. I did like it more than most. I was probably in the majority of saying, like, this movie effing rules. Um, but in my review, I wrote, like, the whole pregnancy arc, like, it, it, if you can remove it, it doesn't really remove anything from the movie. Like, you still have Beth coming to her sister's aid. You still have Beth finding things out about herself. And you can even do, like, the maternal struggle. Like, I, I think the pregnancy element is underbaked as well as um you know like the deadites have always just been like deadites they've always just kind of been these like mixed between zombie demon but but defined by themselves uh and now by like introducing all this irish catholicism um mm-hmm. i think it's also something that like steers the deadite themselves into way more the possession and way more a definitive angle on it um and like some people didn't read it that way but like other people did i was talking to a, you know friend of the show Lindsay travis and like that was one of the things she brought up of saying like i didn't need that i i like my deadites just being deadites don't give me background on them mm-hmm. like i just it, that angle didn't have to be there so i think there are some swings made here that if they are removed don't hurt the movie and that's why you know you kind of can say like yeah they didn't really do it for me but even then it's such a small thing i think where it didn't bother me still like that stuff was still fun at, at portions and you know getting that kind of background of you know the catholic church and stuff like that yeah it was a little yeah it, i i'm not i'm not mad at it it was just one of those things where i was like yeah yeah i don't know because in some ways it felt like not an excuse but like her motivation for defending these kids so much and it's like there's that's still her niece that's still her nephew like i have a niece and are you kidding me like i would fight for you know that kid like nobody's business like i don't need to be a mom to care for this kid you know i don't need to have experienced that to care for this this child and to fight you know deadites for them so like in some ways it felt like it was using it as like part of the reason why she's just trying so hard and it's like it's her family yeah it's her family and now she is a yeah, mom cuz those like that little girl doesn't have any Cassie family left. Hers. So, like, she does have... She is a mom now. Beth is going to have some explaining to do to social services. Um, showing up at their door, like, both are covered in blood, head to toe. Um, really not much more than the clothes on their back. And her there's family's DNA be, and a wood chipper. <laughs> yes. There's going to be a lengthy investigation as to what really... Yeah, but like an investigation by deadites. <laughs> like, I mean, like that's it's the other like thing now. Like the door is open. Like, like, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've gone into dead heat yeah. territory. And Rachel, I really like what you just said there about not necessarily needing to be a mom to feel empathy for children in danger. Mm-hmm. Like I think I'm the only one here that's a parent. Like Matt, maybe you have kids you don't know about. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Actually, what does that mean about me? You know, uh, just throwing wild accusations out there right now. Um, so bring me on and then question my character. Yeah, Thanks. okay. Um, these these fantastic fest parties get wild is all I'm saying. Anyway, we'll leave that in. Uh, and I apologize for questioning your moral character. You're a fine gentleman and we love you. Um, but Thank you. But you don't need to be a parent to really love to empathize for children you know and to to not want to see them in danger to not want to see them like murdered there's this and i I read this elsewhere so i can't take full credit for it but there was like a a reading on this movie where you have like danny who's played by a transgender actor finds this book 
and he is the cause of all of this pain and suffering in the family. He does what he's not supposed no. to do. That you have like a, a single mom, like the traditional family has broken up, and it's a single mom who has what most would consider a non-traditional job as a tattoo artist. Like she's working, you would say, like in the arts or the alternative. And again, not necessarily my belief system, but it is what others have like read into it where there's like you're going against the traditional family structure and when you do that look at all the hellfire that can rain down on you at one point and the person who survives is the woman who's like oh i'm going to become a mother even though it's going to mean like as she says like if i have the kid i'm not going to be able to be like the road tech that and she's like just about get to get promoted to like the top of the chain in her job but she's willing to sacrifice that in order to raise cassie and then raise her own child and like so they're in to be fair like sam raimi is a conservative like that's one of the things that is not necessarily public about him but he's someone who's contributed to the bush campaign in the past and he's a more conservative filmmaker than I would expect him to be. Uh, I think you can read that and not necessarily be wrong in your reading of that. That's fascinating because I did yeah. not see it that way. But that's not you know I'm that's not my experience. That's not my you know lived yeah. in experience. And I, but I can, one hundred percent see how that reading yeah. is there. And like you're saying that all like you're saying out all those facts and it's like oh, wait yeah I can totally see that and that's very yeah. interesting and i mm -hmm. hope that that was not an intentional yeah. thing yeah i it doesn't feel intentional for me because I, it's showing more of an la mm -hmm. lifestyle mm -hmm. uh like I, I mean that's the other part of it too like my reading was not it is condemning these people for being who they are but like i i mean when there's people i see out the people i see like at bars in la and stuff like that it is a much more creative atmosphere mm -hmm. like living out here you have to be a certain kind of person yeah. and like you do see way more tattoo artists with families and stuff like that yeah. like that's it to, that's how i read it but, but like yeah like you saying it out loud I, we can read yeah. any movie the way we yeah. want to like we can find ways to make any movie yeah. fit our beliefs and value and core and stuff like yeah. that so it, it's hard to say like that's not the way yeah. it is but i don't get the actual feeling that that was intentional yeah, and i'm not fully on board with that reading i can definitely question that but i can understand where someone could come from but i also like ari's take a lot and i think it's a really important distinction and reminder that like being pro-choice doesn't necessarily have to mean being anti well, and like being pro-choice is exactly that choice is the key word there morgan davies the actor who plays danny mm -hmm. is open about being trans that's the actor. Mm -hmm. The character, Danny, is not. Is that is never brought up. It is Danny. Yep. He is their brother because he is a man. And so like there is don't uh, separate the character from the actor. Yep. Unless it's like actually part of the script, part of the, you know, the storyline, that's different. But here, Danny is Danny, not Morgan Davies. And so I think yeah. that is a bit of, you know, a crack in that logic just a little bit but no that's a great point that is an absolutely phenomenal point that's like there's nothing about the character of danny that's and even if danny is a trans character in this movie there's nothing about that that is essential 
to the plot or even pointed yeah. out, which I think is a, to me, like that seems like a great step forward. Like this is just the character as the character yeah. is. It's not a plot point. It's never addressed. I think it's... it's never implied. It's just Danny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that reading feels more like projection yeah. than a reading yeah. to me. Like that that feels more of yeah. uh, what somebody wants to see and that fits something mm-hmm. than what is on oh. the screen. And again, it, we can we can do that all day with any yeah. movie. So and like I, it's... if I remember correct, like I read that reading like from a transgender right. man. Like I, if I, if I remember, so I could see where they might, they could feel like what's gone into their experience and how they have felt and how they've experienced how others see them. So I could totally see where that could be the case and that could be a reading of it because again, it's like foreign to my own experience. So I don't want to discount. Well, and as horror fans, we all know we find catharsis and joy and healing in some of mm-hmm. the weirdest things that other people are going to look at us and be like, "You are insane! How do you get joy out of that?" Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, yeah. everybody's going to take what they want from it, what they need from it, in different levels and on, you know, in a myriad of ways. So there's no. N- there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to read it. It's what it means to you. And if it's not your bag, all right, cool. But if it is awesome, that's awesome too. Mm -hmm. Perfect. On that note, any final thoughts? I, yeah, I I, am so like, just, I'm excited about horror right now. Like I have Mm -hmm. been for the last few years and this is just keeping that ball rolling for me. And it's just so refreshing to see some of these major franchises just have fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to see what comes next for this, because this is not the end of Evil Dead. And that is a great thing to acknowledge and say. Agreed. No, I feel like this is a a huge turning point for a lot of things. Uh, I feel like, and I hope I'm right about it, again, the trauma horror kind of phasing out a little bit and going back into just being good old the popcorn horror and that's not Mm -hmm. a dirty word at all i love that kind of stuff but yeah just more so i hope more franchises learn these lessons and i I think they are like the fact that we are seeing these franchises come back from the dead and do their own thing again whether that's the chucky series whether you know you love it or not it's still this don mancini fronted series that is everything he wants his franchise Mm -hmm. to be and like scream being handed off to an you know a new team in radio silence and them just carrying the torch like there's so much going on where i don't know i feel like the big name franchises for a while were like a dirty word because you know sequels come out they're not really great and they get pushed to the backside and like indie horror was all the rage and like now we can have both we can finally like bridge that gap between like i can have my indies i the streamers have their content quote unquote uh and we're back we're, we're back to normal kind of you know i can't wait for the new saw i can't yes. wait for the new these things but at the same time i can't wait to see what i discover at festivals Mm so we're in a we're in a good spot yeah how about you ari i i think they both said it better than i could (laughs) i completely agree i just want to say it's been a big year for wood chipper gore between halloween ends and evil dead rise like we're definitely seeing the return of wood chipper gore and i am here absolutely here for it that's the um, influence of big wood chipper <laughs> it really is big, you know big wood chipper just out there pushing their agenda on that's us what I think. Which, but that is a lobby i could get behind <laughs> that is definitely a lobby i could get behind um and i wonder if that's a little nod to the cohen brothers being good friends of sam raimi and them doing time crimes who knows or just wood chippers are cool they're definitive um, Nothing yes. can come back from that. It's tough to come back from that. Tough <laughs> yes. to come back from that one. 
Uh, you just can't you rub a little dirt in it and scrape it off. I think that, and Rachel, I like I love how you said like you're like so excited about horror right now. I am actually like a little disappointed with horror well. this year, and we're now enough of the way or a third of the year through it. I feel, and this is near the top of my list of like movies I've enjoyed this year, along with Infinity Pool, and Sick, um, and Cocaine Bear. You know, and I think what. Well, except for Infinity Pool, <laughs> what all of those have in common is they're really they're this little fun aspect to them. Um, Are we getting Maxine this so, year, right? Or is it? I mean, I know it's filming. I Are we think getting it this so. year? It's filming this year, so we'll be, we'll see. I I am hopeful that the second half of the year is going to have a lot of good things in store. But I think 2022 is so good that I had very high hopes for 2023. So I am a little let down. But again, I'm still going to cross my fingers and put my butt in the seat for any new horror release. So, All right. Thanks, folks, for helping us talk through Evil Dead Rise. And now let's plug some stuff. Matt, you've got a million fires in the iron. What are you working on right now? Uh, I am working on all the things at every time, uh, a lot of IGN stuff right now. But if you would like to know what I am working on, I will pester you on socials. You can follow me at Donatabomb on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, sometimes on TikTok. I just play around with shit. But uh, yeah, I'll always, I'm always posting reviews. I'm always working on editorials. I just wrote some Guardian stuff for IGN. I'm working on some remake stuff for Bloody. So, yep, at Donatabomb. Follow me. What's going on with Certified Forgotten? Yeah, I also have a podcast. Thanks for helping me plug myself, Mike, because no, I forget these no. things sometimes. Uh, Certified Forgotten is a great little podcast that I host my co-host, Matt Monagle. We uh, talk about horror movies that have 10 or fewer critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that have been forgotten by the populace. And I don't know, we just bring a guest on who loves a movie and we try to give it its due again. So listen along. We just had a uh, episode of Blaine Waterloo talking about So Vam, which was wonderful. And uh, we have one upcoming Maybe about a shark movie that is set on Christmas. Who knows? I don't know. Yes, excellent. Shark Jaws. Um, I love your podcast. Just before you even talk about the movies, I love how you and Matt make your guests feel really comfortable uh, just talking about their experience with horror and getting into horror. It's just such a warm chat. So everybody here should be, everyone listening should also be checking that show out as well. Please do so. So Thank you, Mike. That is very nice. Uh, Rachel, how about your? I had to make up for it after accusing you of like father. You owe me. Children. You owe me, Studian. Yeah, so, um, Rachel, how about yourself? Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Vinyl Girl G R R R L or Instagram at the Vinyl Girl. Um, over at the Losers Club, we just um, took a trip down to the Florida Keys and talked a lot about Duma Key. So that'll be the next big book episode that dropped and um, really, really enjoyed that book. And I think we had a really great discussion. Mm -hmm. So you can listen to that. Um, My dear friend Jen Adams and I have a new podcast called The Girls on the Boys, where we go episode by episode through Amazon Prime series, The Boys. And that has been just a delight as well. So you can find that on the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad feed. Um, and we're also on Instagram and Twitter at Girls on the Boys if you want to check that out. Excellent. I have to ask, with you being the music okay. person of the group, with you, and I, if I've asked this before, I apologize and I will retire this joke. Um, 
any thoughts ever naming it Girls Against Boys, and named after the seminal indie rock band of the 90s, Girls you Against You know, Boys. thought about it for a brief moment, and then just immediately thought about, about all the amazing reviews we would get based on uh, title alone, and decided that, mm-hmm. yeah, probably not the best route to go, so yeah, Girls on okay. the Boys it is. <laughs> Got it. You're, you're already two women yeah. with a podcast. <laughs> you don't need the yeah. added. All right. Um, but listeners, do give a listen to Girls Against Boys. They were phenomenal. Put out some great records. I think on Matador and other labels in the 90s. Okay, I'll stop being a nerd. Ari, how about yourself? What's going on with Ghouls and Elsewhere? Yeah, so uh, Ghouls Magazine this month, we're covering nature horror. So we've mm. got articles and reviews and podcast episodes about that coming up. Um, if you're a member, you'll be able to listen to the podcast episode I recorded on the Bay with Amber Teagan. And we go, that uh, that discussion goes places. <laughs> I was like, oh, nature horror. And we go a lot of different places with that. Um, but you can follow me on all the socials at Ari underscore Hellraiser, and I'll post everything I'm doing there. Excellent. Well, listeners, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Letterboxd at Mike Chump Change. Uh, I've got a Blueski thing now, and I think that is just like Mike Snoonian, all one word. Um, yeah, so follow the show at Pod and Pendulum. And I just lost track of thought there, so let me just gather my thoughts. Um, I've got some other stuff coming up. Like, I've got some writing on Dread Central that's coming up. Um, I've also, like, wrote a little retrospective about Bill Paxton for Dread Aww. Central and some movies you should check out because I love Bill Paxton. Um also have a new show that's launching this summer with Taffet V of Late, uh, the Late Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into uh, once a month on all of Bob Kath Goldwaith's movies, uh, starting with Shakes the Clown, because I love him. Um, two projects I can't announce yet. One of them, uh, our crew here, is going to be working on that I'm really, really excited for, and then something in 2024 uh which i got asked to take part in which i am super thrilled about and wished that i could talk about with you all but we're going to keep it under our hat but it's someone that i'm like thrilled to work with and adore and i think it's it's going to be fucking awesome if you've enjoyed us please rate review and subscribe to us wherever you get your shows leaving a rating and a review goes a long way to having others discover us which is always great and it lets us know that we are on the right track we will be back very soon with a new franchise we're going to be diving into hell hell we're going to be diving into hell house llc as our next franchise doing some found footage goodness we have a couple guests lined up for that and i am excited because those are super super fun movies to talk about and with that note thanks everyone we are out all right there we go let's see i think uh if y'all can do me a favor and email me your tracks.